Welcome to the Ministry 127 podcast, brought to you by Lancaster Baptist Church and Pastor Paul Chapel. This week's podcast is entitled, How You Can Increase Your Husband's Effectiveness in Ministry with Mrs. Souza Rasmussen. Mrs. Rasmussen teaches secretarial and computer courses at the college level and is the wife of Dr. Mark Rasmussen, Vice President of West Coast Baptist College. As you all know, the, the ministry is busy. Uh, people never stop having problems, and we're in the people business. So the ministry is a busy time. Uh, here's how a pastor described a typical day for him. He said, arriving in the church office at 8 o'clock in the morning, I had intended to spend at least two hours in preparation for my Sunday sermon. Uh, I was scheduled for a deacon's luncheon. I also wanted to record five radio talks for the coming week. That was my plan. However, I was reminded by my secretary that I had agreed to write an article for the church bulletin that was scheduled to go to the print shop at noon. I was also obligated to make three phone calls, one of them to the chairman of the church finance committee. After finishing with these duties, only 30 minutes were left for the preparation of my messages, since at 10 o'clock I was to meet with the program chairman of the upcoming citywide revival. Just as I began to study again, I received word that the mother of the president of the missionary society in the church had passed away, and my presence was wanted at her home at once. This, of course, caused me to miss my meeting with the program committee of the upcoming citywide revival, but I was able to attend the 1230 luncheon for the deacons. Following this, I spoke at a study class. At 2 o'clock, I officiated at a wedding ceremony. At 3 o'clock, I began my visiting in the hospitals and finished just in time to make the Baptist Boys Club Supper where I opened in prayer. The supper lasted until 7.30, allowing me to get away just in time to attend a meeting of the Community Canvas Outreach. I was on hand simply to make suggestions and to boost their morale. Having done that, my day of service was finally ended and I arrived home exhausted at 9.30 that evening. Does that sound kind of like your husband's day, where you just go from one thing to the next? And maybe like your day as well, where you just go from one thing to the next. But you know, Ephesians 4.12 says that we are here for the work of the ministry. So we need to realize that we have the privilege of working in the ministry. And it's a wonderful thing. So how can we increase our husband's effectiveness in ministry? Number one. We need to realize, first of all, that it's not about me, but it's about him. And there's a picture of my husband up on the board, but I want you to envision your husband up there that this is about him. You know, my being, in my particular case, being raised in a Christian home, I wanted to serve the Lord. I remember as a teenager going to Bell Rice Ranch and surrendering uh, to be in full-time Christian service and going to a Bible college and taking education and preparing to teach and to serve the Lord. So when I got married, I was happy that I could be married and serve the Lord. And, you know, it took me a couple of years to realize, you know, this marriage and helping him, it's not about me serving the Lord. And and I am serving the Lord and I do serve the Lord. But really, my job, it's about him. And I want to help him as he is serving the Lord. It's not that people will say, oh, look at her. She's, She's my Sunday school teacher. I want them to say He's my Sunday school teacher. And, you know, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't serve the Lord and just only do what our husband does. But we just need to realize that we are not the ones who are up there, uh, that it's not about us, but it's about our husband. And, of course, it's about him, about God, and about serving him. Proverbs 31, of course, is the uh, proverb for the virtuous woman. 
But in this proverb, a husband is mentioned four times. In Proverbs 31, 23, uh, it says that, that her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. So ladies, that means he's well known, that he is famous. So a virtuous woman is able to help her husband to such an extent that when he's sitting among the other men, maybe other at a preacher's meeting or just around or whatever, wherever he is, he is known that we have built him, that we've encouraged him, uh, so that he becomes known for what he does, whether he is the pastor, whether he is a Sunday school teacher, a school teacher, the janitor of the church, whatever it is, that we have built him so that he is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. You know, most men have insecurities, and we've discovered that, haven't we? Uh, They like for us to brag on them and, and feed their ego, and that's okay. That's the way God made them, so we should feed their ego and, you know, and tell them. Uh, and and reassure them and so forth. But they need that. We need to believe in them and to be in their corner. I remember years ago, uh, there was a college wife who said, I need to talk to you. She said, you know, my husband has surrendered to uh, be a preacher. But she said, what if I don't think he can do it? She said, I don't think he can do it. And I won't go into the whole uh, long story, but today, as I stand here today, he is not preaching. You know, she didn't believe in him. And she, you know, all men have different uh, personalities. They all have different characteristics. But if they have the call of God on their life, they can overcome anything. And we need to reassure them and build them. And maybe there are some things where you think, can he do it? But if God has called them, God can enable them. But we have to be in their corner and we have to encourage them. Mark Twain said this, small people always belittle others. The really great make you feel that you too can become great. So let's build our husband and help them. Don't say bad things about your husband to other people. Don't post bad things about your husband on Facebook. <laughs> okay, probably just not need to get off of Facebook. But anyway, don't do things like that. Build him. Encourage him. Make him known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Number two, be a helpmeet to him. Genesis 2.18 says, I will make and help meet for him. What can you do to help your husband? Uh, so remember, it's not about me. It's about him. So we need to be happy in the role of being a helpmeet. For our husband. The Bible does not say she shall be known in the gates when she sitteth among the elders of the land. So remember, it's not about us, but it's about him and about us helping him to be his helpmeet. So let's be happy in that role. Number three, don't be the boss. So you are not in the driver's seat, okay? Let him lead and... Uh, You know, there are times, and I know uh, Brother Fisher was talking about that this morning, where sometimes men will make a decision and will think, what in the world? Are you sure? (laughs) But let's honor our husband. It's very important to honor him and to honor his position and to let him take the lead and don't be the boss. Also, don't try to over-talk your husband. I just noticed this a few times because some of us ladies, we like to talk, don't we? How many of you would say, I'm a talker? How many of you would say, you know, I really just like to sit there and listen to other people talk? 
Okay, and there's some of us like that too. But you know, we have things to say. We want to talk, okay? And I noticed this in one, one couple that we knew years ago. Uh, the, the wife was a talker, and we'd go to their church, and she would be talking. Her husband, who was the pastor, would try to get a word in edgewise, but finally he would just quit talking and let her talk. And then we went back a, a couple years after that, uh, some years ago, and so there she was. She was still just talking away. And then I discovered that he would talk, and he had just learned to talk louder than her. <laughs> so I was trying not to laugh. I was trying so hard not to laugh, because here she is just talking away, and he's talking loud over her. <laughs> I said, she's not getting it. But anyway, so don't try to over-talk your husband, okay? If he starts talking, stop talking, because he's the leader. Let him be the boss. Let him be the leader. I had a man in our Sunday school class one time tell me, he says, you know, my wife is the boss. She says she isn't, but she is. Would your husband say that about you? We say we're not the boss, but are we? I hope our husbands don't say that about us. Number four, know people's names and their needs. Like I said before, we work actually with the, um, the uh, senior citizens in our class. But as you're talking to people and going around, uh, greeting people uh, in the mornings, and you know, pastor's wife, don't just go and sit in your seat. But walk around and uh, talk to people and after the service, before the service, and so forth. Take a little three by five card with you. Uh, now that I'm over 50, my memory is gone out the window. So I take a card with me so I can re uh, write things down. And when people tell me their surgery is coming up next Tuesday at 4.30 at this hospital, I can write it down so that I can share that with my husband because he's back in the back preparing to speak or up on the platform or whatever, and he's not out as much, maybe, as I am and talking to the people. So I feel like it's my mission to find out everybody who's having a surgery or some social function or some need in their family or whatever, and I need to find that out so I can let my husband know. So listen to the announcements very carefully. Write things down if there's a need or somebody had a baby or whatever. Look in your bulletin. Look in your prayer sheet. Uh, every Sunday afternoon, I go home and I email to my husband. That's how we communicate. We email. <laughs> no, we're, that's one of my points later. But that's, on this particular case, I send it so it's in writing for him as well. So I'll email him everything I found out that morning. Whoever has a need or whatever is going on or what, uh, some celebration or something, I email him every Sunday afternoon. So we are in the people business, and we need to know what's happening in people's lives. Not so that we can gossip, but so we can help them. When we, we need to know that. Um, also, whenever you find something out, let the proper people know. And maybe in a small church, you are the person that sends the flowers, that puts the need in the prayer sheet, uh, or that types it in the bulletin, or let the care group leader know, or whatever. But let the proper people know who is whoever does the hospital visitation, let them know. So see, that is your, your job. You have a very important job to let these other people know what's going on in people's lives. And that'll help your husband because he's not out there as much, maybe, as you can be. So uh, you can make him more effective so that he, he can write a letter to someone that uh, I told him about. And uh, it, makes it, uh, it makes him more effective. Number five, keep a close eye on his calendar. Be organized with his time. So you need to know what's happening in his life. 
we just need to know everything, don't we? <laughs> we need to know what, what's happening in other people's lives. We need to know what's happening in his life. You can anticipate events. If something comes up, you've got your calendar saying, well, no, we can't do that because this is happening and so forth. Birthdays, anniversaries, everybody in your church, you should know all of those so that you're on top of that. And you're the one. He doesn't need to remember that somebody's birthday is next week. You need to remember that. Have it down, and then you tell him. Send him an email or address the card or whatever you need to do so that he doesn't have to remember all those things. He's got other important things to, mem- to remember. So we need to do that for him. I know our secretary here, Mrs. Furso, in the church office, she'll even send us emails. If someone passed away a year ago, she'll send me an email. Now, Brother Wells' wife passed away one year ago Tuesday. And that's, I'm supposed to contact her. Or her birthday would have been next Thursday. And so I should contact Brother Wells because his wife's birthday or their anniversary or something like that. So even that is such a nice touch uh, to let your husband know, well, this would have been, and he can make a little call or write a little note or something like that. And that makes him so effective, and the people feel that personal touch with him because we've helped him remember all those little things. Number six, help him be organized at home. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. So help keep him organized at home and keep his clothes neat, uh, hang up his shirts in the closet, all going the same way, uh, put his shoes neat, help keep his car clean, uh, even maybe you could wash it for him sometime because he's busy doing all of these other things. So you get out there, you and the kids, and wash his car for him or take it to the car wash for him or whatever, but I take that on myself personally. So he doesn't have to do some of those little nitty-gritty things because he's doing other Things, dealing with the people, preparing his lessons, his messages, and so forth. Uh, help him get his books in his library organized by topic. So whatever you can do, if you're married to a preacher, he's always bringing books in the door. And my husband brings them in the door all the time. Well, they can't just sit on the floor in a pile or they're not effective. So somebody's got to put them on the shelf, and that's probably you. So help him be more effective where he can find his things by putting them in a good order. Go through the stacks, because if you go through a stack, you're going to find two or three needs in there that maybe he's jotted down or you've jotted down. And if it just sits in the stack, you're ignoring somebody's need that they have. You're not getting a phone number that's in that stack that you need to call someone. So don't accumulate stacks around your house, or don't let him accumulate stacks in his office. Help him go through. Lots of my husband is a stacker. And so, <laughs> so that's why I know there's times where I need to say, okay, can we go through this? Do you need this, this? What do we do with this, this, this? And all that kind of thing. And that, that is a big help. Uh, so do that if you need to. Uh, stand at his desk and say, okay, can we just go through this and then help him get it done, whatever it is that is there. So don't let those stacks accumulate because they represent neglected people. So go through the stacks. Number seven, keep his laundry done. One of my least favorite questions is when my husband's getting ready and he calls out, are you doing laundry today? And I said, oh, that means I failed in my, in my job. He's needing something. Uh, I know Mrs. Chapel has said this, always keep a spare set of underwear somewhere else in another drawer <laughs> so that when he thinks he's out, you go over there and there it is. <laughs> so. But, you know, just those little things, that helps him be more effective because he doesn't have to get frustrated at the little nitty-gritty details of life because you're taking care of them. When you iron his shirts, iron it with the cuff without a crease. Then it makes it look like you took it to the dry cleaner 
when you didn't really. But so iron is cut without a crease. So uh, keep, keep everything, um, keep his laundry done. Number eight, always sign my husband and I, or always say my husband and I. Don't just write a note to one of the members of your Sunday school class and sign your name. But always say Mark and Sousa, or Dr. R and Sousa, or whatever they call your husband. So turn the hearts of the people to your husband, not just to you. Because you probably are out there maybe talking to them a little more. You might have time to visit them more in the hospital or the nursing home or in their homes uh, because your husband may be busy with other things or counseling with people in the office and that kind of thing. So if you're out there doing some of the footwork, always include his name and turn the hearts of the people to your husband, uh, not just to you. When you're writing thank you notes or sympathy cards or wedding congratulations, always sign both of your names. Uh, always include your husband's name in the conversation, like my husband and I are praying for you. Uh, my husband sends his congratulations. He wishes he could be here. So always bring your husband's name up in the conversation uh, in some way so that you're turning the hearts of the people to your husband. Number nine, be content. Philippians 4.11 says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And you know, years ago I knew a preacher who also had a secular job, he worked both, but he had sent to jail for embezzling, and he was just wanting to buy nicer things for his family. That was his motivation, uh, is what he said, and he had to go to jail for that. And you know, I don't know the whole story, but maybe his wife was putting a little pressure on him to provide nicer things, a nicer car, nicer furniture, whatever. Uh, so don't do that to your husband. Don't, don't put that pressure on him. Uh, just be content with what you have. Be content with the church members you have. Be content with the city that you're in, that God has called you to. Be content with the money you make. Uh, be content with your church. And not that you want to grow. Of course, we want to always get better and dream big and all that kind of thing. But don't just always say, you know, I can't do it here. You know, it can't be done. Uh, God called you there, and it can, with his help and his power. So well, this is just not a good place for soul winning. You can do it other places, but just not here. But it can be with God's help. So be content with where you are, with the people that you have, uh, that God has given to you, and so forth. Uh, don't always be talking about back home or what it was like before, comparing things to like before. Burn the bridges, and this is your new home. Wherever you are, that is your home. So don't always be saying, well, I'm homesick, or I'm going to go home. Don't say that to your people, because if you say that to your people, it makes it sound like, well, you're not really settled in here. We're not really your people. Back home. You're going back home. No, you're just going to go back and visit your family. Uh, so be very careful about different things about that so that you come across as being content. I read this. We are most content when we're grateful for what we own, satisfied with what we make, and generous to those in need. The good life exists only when we stop wanting a better one. The itch for something different is a virus draining the soul of contentment. The itch for something different is a virus draining the soul of contentment. So be content in the ministry where you are, and that will help your husband. Don't try to keep up with the other people in the church. Don't try to buy as nice a car, as nice a furniture, and so forth. Uh, remember that the people in the church are paying your salary, so be frugal for them. I know one of our ladies on staff was telling me her grandparents were in the ministry and they lived in the parsonage. And one night they heard a knock at the door. 
And they went to the door, and one of the older ladies at the church was there standing at the door, and she said, did you realize that every light in your house is burning? And we're paying for that. <laughs> now, that lady shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but you know what? People are noticing. They are. So let's be conscious of that and just be content with the clothes we have and not that you can't go out and get something new, but just be conscious that the people in your church are paying your salary and you want to be frugal for them, be content for them. Number 10, don't be jealous. Exodus 20, verse 17 says, thou shalt not covet. So I'm thinking primarily here of other women in the church uh, if you see a teenage girl or a young woman in the church or some lady in the church that it seems like she's always talking to your husband, you know what you should do? Just go over there and stand by him. If you see them talking and you've, you've seen it happen several times, just go over there and stand there. You don't have to say anything, but just stand there. And that just kind of lets her know, and, and you don't have to look, have a mean look on your face or anything like that <laughs> or throw darts or anything. Just stand there by him. And, uh, and that will help you, it'll help your husband, and it'll help whoever is talking to him, maybe, you know, more than should be. And don't be suspicious. Uh, maybe nothing is going on. Just give it to the Lord. But that's just a nice, safe thing to do, uh, just to go over there and say, you should be by your husband's side anyway. Uh, so just go stand by him. Also, regarding his secretary, I know I heard um, somebody ask a question of Mrs. Chapel one time about a secretary for the husband, uh, for the pastor of the church. You know, do you ever worry about that? And she said, you know, I just pray for his secretary to be godly. If he has a godly secretary, there will be no problems. So just pray for the secretary of your husband, and maybe that's you. <laughs> How many of you are the secretary to your husband? Oh, lots of you. So that's a good situation. But if not, just pray for the secretary of your husband to be godly. And then don't be suspicious and so forth. Just be there and uh, give it to the Lord. Number 11, don't expect him to tell you everything that went on in the office. As soon as he comes in the door, you don't have to say, well, what happened? Well, who was that? Uh, what'd they say? Uh, number 12 is don't pry. Don't pry. And I don't know if you've ever done this. I've I have, I have too many times, but if I'm on the, uh, listening to my husband on the phone as he's talking and I can't hear, especially if it's my children, I want to hear what's going on, uh, or if it's just somebody else, uh, if he's talking for 10 or 15 minutes, I'll find myself, I'll write down a key phrase he said. Oh, really? So I'll write down, oh, really? So that I can ask him later, <laughs> what did that mean? Oh, really? What were you saying to, oh, really? <laughs> I won't ask for raising the hands. You've probably never done that. <laughs> but I have, because I want to know what, what he's talking about. You know, so I, I need to remember, you know, all these phrases. But don't do that. Don't do that. Don't pry. Okay, if he tells you something, that's good. Number 13, take care of all the little problems regarding your children. And then you have to determine what is little and what is big. And I know Mrs. Sisk, her husband was gone for weeks at a time sometime and uh, she said just take care of things and don't wait for your husband to come back uh, but don't just hit him at the door with everything that your children have done all day when he comes in because he's been dealing with a lot of other problems so we know not to do that I know our son last night we parked out by the gym and uh, he was driving so he uh, I told him to pick up some trash and go throw it in the trash can while I took care of some things so he went in and threw away his trash and I went in and took care of a few things so we got ready to leave and uh, we got in the car, and he didn't have the key. It wasn't there. 
So uh, I said, well, we've got to find the key. We've got to get home. My husband wasn't ready to come home yet. We came in two different cars. So he, we thought about everything we had done, and he said, well, he threw the trash. So he said, well, maybe it's in the trash. So we went to that trash can. It was totally full to the top of trash, lasagna, soda, all kind of whatever's in the trash. So I said, well, we've got to find the key. So we started going through the top, sort of, and we said, well, we've, we've got to go through the whole thing because keys can fall down. Uh, they're heavier than napkins. So he went in and got an empty trash can. So here we are out there behind the Student Life Center last night going through all the trash piece by piece because you know this little key is only a key there's not a keychain on or anything like that so it's only a key so <laughs> so we go through the whole trash can moving all of that and no I did not have on gloves but I have washed my hands several times since okay <laughs> and, uh, but um, at the very bottom was the key it was there so praise the Lord we found the key <laughs> but children you know we can wring their necks sometimes <laughs> But I just took care of that. I said, we've just got to do it. He didn't want to go through it. I said, we've got to do it. So you just got to do it. Okay, so take care of all the problems regarding your children, the little ones. Number 14, keep a happy home. Keep a happy home. One of my favorite childhood memories was of when I would wake up in the morning, my mom would have music playing, Christian music. And I just would love that. I would just, I don't know, it just made me feel warm and fuzzy. So I tried to always have music playing. Uh, learn to laugh, look up jokes, funny things. I'm not a naturally funny person, so I'll, I'll find the jokes on the Internet, and when my husband comes home, I'll tell him one <laughs> from the Internet. So uh, I, I read this uh, quote. It says, It is bad to suppress your laughter, because when you do, it goes back down and spreads to your hips. <laughs> so go ahead and laugh. <laughs> Don't make him have to be up for you because he's come in the door he's had a rough day he's dealing with mind-boggling problems with church members or whatever else is going on with the building program or whatever so don't make him have to be up for you I was talking to a man one time years ago and they were going through some marital problems and he said you know I just I have to be up all the time even when I go home there's never really a time when I can relax because his wife is going through some hard times and so forth and he said I just I have to be up for her I have to be up for everyone <laughs> he said there's just no time for me to relax so don't make him have to be up for you and of course he will be at other times but let him come in and just relax Find your happiness in God. I've been reading a book called I Promise by Gary Smalley, and he says this. He says, God did not design us to be able to meet the deepest needs of our spouse. To depend on others for what God only is meant to supply puts impossible pressure on a relationship. So there are just some things that your husband is not made to supply for you, to provide for you, and that's your emotional state. So you and God need to get that all fixed so that you're not a drain on your husband. You know, have you ever given blood? You know, when you give blood for someone, you have to wait a certain amount of time before you can give it again. Because if you would give blood every week, you, would, you personally would get weaker and weaker each time because you're not building back up for that. And that's how it is when we're a leech off of our husband. If we have to have him encourage us and he has to be up for us, it's just very draining for him to have to do that. So you need to have a good relationship with the Lord so that he's not having to provide that for you. Number 15, keep a peaceful home. 
I read this definition of peace. Is this a definition of peace for your home? Peace is the brief, glorious moment in your family when everybody stands around reloading. (laughs) Is that the only peace you have in your house? I hope not. Pray that God will give you peace. Pray that he'll give you grace to withstand whatever comes. I don't know if you've ever seen the poem by Amy Carmichael, In Acceptance Lieth Peace. If you haven't, you should Google it and read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But she goes through each refrain, talks about in forgetting, is that where you're going to find peace? In endeavor, are you going to find peace there? In aloofness, do you find peace there? No. But she said, uh, he said, I will accept the breaking sorrow which God tomorrow will to his son explain. Then did the turmoil deep within him cease. Not vain the word, not vain. For in acceptance lieth peace. So what is it that you need to accept in your family, in your ministry, in your home, to find the peace? God will reveal himself. He'll reveal the reasons for all of that. But just accept that he is working. In acceptance lieth peace. Number 16, say encouraging words to your husband. And we've kind of talked about that already. A couple months ago on TV, there was a homeless man that had a real deep voice, a real rich voice. Did any of you follow that a little bit? And, and they got, brought him off of the street and they were going to give him all these jobs because he has such a resonant voice and so forth. But he was homeless and addictions and so forth. And uh, they called his mother in. They found her. And they called her in. And they were interviewing her on the Today Show or one of those things. Uh, I was just looking at it on the internet. But she was so critical. <laughs> she did not believe in him at all, at all, that he could make it. And just it was saying all these negative things. You know, he's tried this before. It's not he's not going to make it, you know, and all this stuff. And it just made me feel bad for him. And you know what? He didn't make it. I don't know. He disappeared off the scene. But I'd heard that he went back to whatever he was doing. But she just was not encouraging. You know, the sweetness of the lips increases learning. So let's say encouraging words to our husband. Number 17, don't say hurtful words. Uh, There was a man in our Sunday school class who passed away about a year ago. And um, the week before he passed away, my son and I went to see him. And he, uh, Brother French was his name. He never did marry. And he was living in an assisted living home at the time. He says, Mark, I have some advice to give you. He said, don't say hurtful words to people, especially to your family. He said, they just, they stay with you forever. And he had gone through some hard times with his family and so forth. But that was good advice. Don't say hurtful words because they do. They can stay with you forever. Uh, You guys maybe have heard this illustration of Winston Churchill. I wasn't supposed to say guys. Were you on the sermon the other night? Uh Uh-oh. You ladies, okay. (laughs) I'm really from the South, and I should say y'all. But I'm trying to be a little more cultured since I live in Southern California, and so I say you guys. But anyway, okay. Okay, back to my lesson. Winston Churchill and Lady Astor, they were not known for their fondness for each other. So one day, Lady Astor told Winston Churchill, he said, if I were your wife, I'd put arsenic in your tea. And he responded to her, if I were your husband, I would drink it. So, so don't say hurtful words. My diet is balanced. My food is the best, but it's the words I have eaten that I cannot digest. The tongue is the only tool that grows sharper with constant use. 
So let's make sure we're being careful about that. Psychology researchers have reported that as soon as judgmental words come out of our mouth, deadly chemicals are released into our bloodstream. These chemicals weaken our immune system and disrupt the balance between our heart and our brain. Negative attitudes and feelings running through your body are toxic and they shut off the riches of the heart. So we're hurting ourselves physically and in every other way when we're saying hurtful things. So be positive. If something doesn't work, don't rub it in. Don't say, I told you so. Uh, just don't say anything about it. Don't be a pessimist. Uh, be positive. You know, it's, li it's not life circumstances that upset us. It's what we believe about the circumstance that upsets us. Think about that. It's not life circumstances that upset us, but it's what we believe about our circumstance that upsets us. Let's just say we have financial problems in our family, in our church. We're stressed out because of the fact that we don't have money, and we can get upset about that. Or you can realize that you don't have money because that is a fact, but you can believe in your heart as a Christian that by faith my God will provide, supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. So see, we don't have to become negative about that. It's what we believe about the situation that will help us with that. So see, that's something we've got to pray and ask God to help us about. I read about a missionary who was going to India. Someone said, but it's so hot there. Why, it's 120 degrees in the shade. Well, the missionary replied, we just don't have to always stay in the shade, do we? <laughs> so see, he turned that situation around. And let's be positive about that. The first step to developing a positive attitude is to become aware of the true nature of your current attitude. And you know, after being in the ministry for 30 years with my husband and dealing with people's problems, you can become negative. You can. And you can become pessimistic. And you have to fight that because, you, you know, your mind will just... Anyway, you have to fight that, and don't let yourself become negative. Number 18, be a mindful wife. And what I mean by being a mindful wife is don't just say the first thing that comes out of your mouth. You know, sometimes people will say, well, that's just who I am. That's just what I am. That's just what I say. You don't have to say the first thing. You need to think about it. And don't say the hurtful words. Don't say the discouraging words. Don't say the first thing that comes to your mind. Be mindful. Pray for discernment. Number 19, be a buffer for him. So help him protect his time. Answer a question for someone if you can, if they call on the phone. Defend him, stick up for him. Uh, if someone is upset, you try talking to them first, if they will talk to you. Because just the fact that someone says it one time to you, the next time they say it, it's not really quite as bad. You know how that works. You know, you kind of tone it down. So you be the one, be the buffer for him. Uh, so that it doesn't come to him. If he gets a bad email or a bad uh, letter, uh, pray about when you should give it to him or if you should or how you should. Uh, be a buffer for him. Number 21, be someone he can trust. So be accountable to him. Tell him where you're going, uh, where you've been, what you're doing. Proverbs 31:11 says, The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. If he confides confides to you about something, a, a member of the church, don't tell someone else. 
uh, be trustworthy. Number 21, suggest people to have over and let him know when it is a good time for you to cook. So keep a little list. I just kind of keep a little running list of new people or people we haven't had over for a while uh, and then just tackle that list and, and let him know, well, this Friday would be a good time. I've been to the grocery store, you know, I planned ahead and so forth, uh, whatever it is. <clears throat> so let him know so, because we definitely must be hospitable. That's very important. So uh, you be ready for that. Uh, so it's not a surprise. Number 22, keep a clean house. Did you know, even if you're not a perfectionist, there are perfectionists in your church. And if they come to your house, and I'm not saying your house has to be perfect, but if they come to your house and it's messy or dirty, that's really a turnoff to them. If it's somebody who's a perfectionist, I mean, they, 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 look, they, they shouldn't, but they think lesser of you because of that. So that's a motivation to me to go ahead and pick up that lint off the carpet uh, or to go ahead and dust that table where instead of just writing my name in it. <laughs> that's what I'd rather do. But go ahead and do it for them. Even if it doesn't bother you, do it for them. Uh, don't leave dirty dishes in the sink. Uh, make your bed. Uh, I know my husband is tall. You guys know who he is, Dr. Rasmussen. He's about 6'6". Six, six. And when he brushes his teeth, he leans over, but he's so tall, if he bends over, you know, he has to bend down to spit in the sink. <laughs> so he props his hand up on the mirror and bends over and does it. But you know what he does when he puts his hand on the mirror? That leaves a handprint up there, way up there at the top of the mirror that I can't reach. <laughs> and I have felt like many times telling him, why don't you not put your hand on the mirror? But you know what? I haven't said it yet. Maybe next week after this session. <laughs> no, but I do. I see it up there, and you know, I just clean it because that's just something a little bit less that he has to worry about. He didn't have to need to have to think. Well, what can I do or whatever? So I just take care of that. Just little things like that to keep a clean house for him and for the perfectionist in your church. Okay, number twenty-three. Tell him you enjoyed his sermon, his lesson. Maybe nobody else will. So you tell him that you enjoyed it. I think Mrs. Sis. She said, "Tell him." Tell them it was interesting <laughs> or something, even if it wasn't very good. Uh, tell them something about it. That was something else. Okay. <laughs> Number 24, in a crowd, keep good eye contact with him in case he needs to motion to you or tell you something. So if you're in the lobby after church, position yourself so that you can see him because if he needs rescuing from some lady who's talking too much or, whatever, or maybe he's needing something from his office or whatever, uh, keep in eye contact. So if he needs to maybe motion or, or say, you know, come over or whatever, uh, then you're, you're right there. And that'll really help him. Just a little tip on that. Number 25, keep communicating so there are no misunderstandings. One marriage expert says that 20 minutes a day in true communication decreases a couple's chance of divorce and increases marital satisfaction. So that's not that much. If you have real good communication for at least 20 minutes a day, a mar another marriage counselor say that, says that 80% of all marital problems are rooted in poor communication. So communicate. Don't get offended, um, but just communicate with your husband. Number 26, be flexible. Plans are made to be changed. And this is a hard one for me because I like to know what I'm doing and plan it and do it. So I have to really pray that the Lord will help me. If my husband walks in the door and says, well, I have five more people for dinner, and I was only planning for 10, and he wants 15, uh, then I'm not very happy. But 
plans are made to be changed. People's problems don't follow a schedule. Practice standing in front of the mirror saying, not a problem. <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> but just learn to be flexible and practice that and pray and ask the Lord to help you to be flexible. Number 27, meet his sexual needs. You know, we're praying for our man to be a man of God, and we want to learn tips on how he can be more effective. But perhaps one of the most effective ways that you can help him so that he is not distracted, so that he can be the man of God that you want him to be and that he wants to be, is for you to meet his sexual needs. So one of the most spiritual things that you can do is to meet your husband's sexual needs. And he can be more effective for the Lord if he is totally satisfied. Number 28, fast and pray for him. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says to give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Pray a hedge of protection around him. Um, number 29, share his vision. Uh, Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. We have to have the faith. Your husband has the faith. God is giving you the faith. Be excited about it. Some people say, well, you know, our work is small. Uh, think about the story in John 6, verse 9, where Jesus was feeding the 5,000, and the disciples came to him and said, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. And then they said to Jesus, But what are they among so many? And sometimes we think, What am I among so many? But, you know, the lad was willing to give what he had. He volunteered what he had. So that's what we need to do. Volunteer what we have, the, the little that we have, and then Jesus blessed it. And if we volunteer and give Jesus what we have, he will bless that. And then when Jesus blesses the little that we have, then the disciples distributed and they had so much they had left over. So when we are distributed, when we are used with God's blessing, then we become great. We're not in the minority anymore. One with God equals a majority. So you may think, what am I among so many? You are with God. You are the majority. So God, share his vision. Because, you know, God will give faith to your husband. But you need to have the faith, too. And so realize that you are in the majority with him. And lastly, number 30, be a good Christian. And we've kind of talked about that throughout. But, ladies, you, you have to have your own personal walk with the Lord. He is enough for you. When your husband is busy, God is there. He is your best friend. And, of course, we'll keep a good balance with that. But be a good Christian. Know your Bible. Know how to answer the questions that come up when you're talking to people. Know about the cults. You might need to study that if you didn't go to Bible college or maybe even if you did and you slept through your class. You might need to study about what are the cults so that you can help with that. Be a soul winner. You help build the church. Your husband is building the church. He's seeing people saved. But you need to t take it on yourself personally to help God and help your husband by you helping get people into the church as well. So know the scriptures. Be a good Christian, and that'll solve all the problems, actually. Have you ever heard of the Chinese bamboo tree? In closing, let me tell you about the Chinese bamboo tree. When you plant the seed, you water it, you fertilize it, for a whole year, all you get is a tiny shoot. That's it for year one. Year two, you water it, you fertilize it, you nurture it, it doesn't grow. It's the same, it's a little shoot. Year three, you do the same. You think, oh, I'm just going to get rid of this. It's just a little shoot. You pull on it, 
it doesn't come out of the ground. The fourth year, it shoots up to 80 feet tall because underneath the ground, there has been such an intricate root system, uh, the foundation that is so strong, there's no way you could get that out of the ground just by pulling it. And then that fourth year, after the, after the fourth year, it shoots up very quickly to a very, very tall, strong tree. And I think that symbolizes our ministry with our husband. There's time, you, you have to keep nurturing, you keep watering, you may not see a lot of fruit, but to help your husband be more effective, keep it up, don't quit. Keep watering, keep nurturing your ministry, your marriage, your family, and then you're gonna be surprised what God is going to do because he is our strong foundation. Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. This week's lesson was on how you can increase your husband's effectiveness in ministry with Mrs. Sousa Rasmussen. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.